right. Welcome, everybody. I, Isaac can't help but dance every single time we start the live stream. Everybody's got to dance a little. We have to start um, our episode tonight with a, a question for the people, which is, who wore it best? Me. We, uh, that's Isaac's uh, shocking opinion. We both... Um, accidentally wore the exact same color shirt tonight. So you can go in the comments and say if you like Isaac's more kind of outdoor fishing. Hunting. Yeah, yours is actually nicer. It's fancier, but yours looks like what I actually want to be wearing right now. Like I, I could pull a fishing lure out of this pocket right here. Or that pocket or that or pocket one, or, or that one. Plus it's and got actually vents. see what you don't know is this is paracord for the sleeve. So in a survival situation, this will get you out of a lot of trouble. You could climb out of a very shallow hole with yeah. that paracord. Yep. But it's also got like the vents on the armpits and stuff. So it keeps you super cool. It's true. It's got a little, like, nice. little, little flaps on the back. Hey, welcome everybody. Um, so cool to see some of you guys in the chat already. Um, we've gotten already, by the way, I'll say this up front, but a couple of questions have come in on um, things we've talked about and then other um, eschatology related things that we haven't talked about. And so I just want to encourage you, if you've got questions about the book of Revelation, end of the world, eschatology stuff, send them in. And we'll probably end up with enough to do um, either a full episode on it or dedicate, you know, the back half of an episode or something to answer. Yeah, some and of these we've, questions. we've upgraded so we could see the comments a lot better. That's true. So we're more likely to get to uh, a question. That's true. Although I can't see a couple of them that I know are there right now, but that's fine. Um, so cool to see everybody here. I got, oh, Janos votes for Kevin. So, hey, you know what, Janos? You make a really good point. Let's take a look at, at the man behind the machinery and check in. Hey, Kevin, can you talk to us now? I don't know. Can you hear me? I, it looks like they can hear you. Um, how are you doing back there? I am a little overwhelmed by buttons, but we'll make it work. Hey, you're doing a great job, man. It's all right. C plus. Solid C plus. It's a solid C plus. Which <laughs> solid is, you C know, plus works, man. And the thing for us is we're always just... We want the best that we can expect to get. So C plus is great. <laughs> That's definitely how I feel about both of you. <laughs> Just in a general sense. Isaac's not laughing. Um, we're laughing. So, hey, we've been, this is our second week in this eschatology series talking about the end of the world. Um, we've talked last week about kind of the general danger of having unexamined eschatology, mm -hmm. by which I mean you have some assumptions about the way the world's going to end and what the second coming looks like and all of that sort of stuff, but you haven't really thought through it biblically or seen how those different views integrate with each other. So we're kind of walking through a few key eschatological questions to figure out, you know, hey, do you actually believe the view you think you hold and does it square up biblically? So we're going to do that tonight. Hopefully our goal is to go all the way through... Um, doomsday prophecy type stuff and look at mm -hmm. some current ones and then also hopefully have time to talk about the rapture. We'll see how, how far we get. Um, but man, the world, like we said last week, feels like it's ending. And one of the things I've noticed is that people seem to, to feel that way just by what we're sharing online and what we're seeing online, yeah. like an increase in um, doomsday prophecy type stuff, rapture talk, which is why we're talking about that tonight, and just kind of a, an influx of memes and videos and things that talk about the fact that the world's about to end. I've gotten a bunch of them sent to me. I, I don't know if you have as well. I know me and you both got yeah, sent a couple yeah. of them. And sometimes it's, you know, by a churchgoer who's like, hey, can you tell me if this is biblical? And sometimes it's somebody who's genuinely concerned and afraid. And so, um, you know, the problem with a lot of these things, and we talked about this a little bit last week, is that they treat... Uh, the current historical situation as if it's the only time in history 
when it feels, you know, this crazy or like everything has kind of ramped up to this point. Mm. And it, they don't often have um, historical humility or historical open-mindedness as far as going like, hey, there have been a lot of times when it felt like the world ended. So one of the things I wanted to start with is talking about some famous failed prophecies of mm. the past. Because again, if you don't know that these have happened, wait, look, hold on a sec. We've got comments from two different versions of, uh, of what I, I have to assume is Drew Dowler. One time he's logged in on the church's account saying, what up, what up, what up? And then a second later. It could be Stan too. As himself. No, because look, it comes in again now as himself also saying, what up, what up, what up? It's Drew, possible. Drew, come on, man. My Double wife's check. watching. Hello, Anaya. Oh, man. You guys know, by the way, all you who are viewing this right now, that we have a constant fan in Anaya Serrano. She, she watches every Theology Thursday. Sometimes and, uh, she offers corrective notes. She actually did, when I, the last one, I forget what it was, but I was like, that's a fair criticism, Anaya. That's fair. I'll, I'll consider that. Yeah, I think it was that she was, she was really con convicted about the fact that Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven now. Yes, yeah. And that that's not something that's going to come in the future. It's... It's present it's now. It's good That's theology. Awesome. Yeah, so we've we've um, had a lot of people in the past say that they knew for a variety of reasons when the world was ending. Mm -hmm. And some of them to the point of like, you know, sell all your possessions and run for the hills kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so we d I just want to walk through some of these. And the main reason is because it's not like to make fun of it or something, but to, again, when you see a doomsday prophecy now, recognize like, hey, this has happened before. You know, the one example that was sent to me was a video of a pastor, and I think he's genuine. I don't think he's, you know, a shyster or something like yeah. that. Um, but he was talking about prophetic dreams that he's had um, about the end of the world coming and the chaos and tribulation that's about to come this year. And he's got 2 million views. Mm -hmm. And if you look at some of his other, um, you know, videos from his church or whatever, they're, they're a couple thousand views. And then as soon as he starts talking about prophetic dreams about the end of the world, millions of people yeah. tune in. Yeah, there's there, there's a gravitational pull to it. And as you said, it's important to note that there are, and as we go down this list, maybe you, as you hear this stuff, you can um, kind of decide wh where you think they might fall. But there are some people who are gen genuinely convinced that the world is going to end this way on this day because of X, Y, Z. And they, they're, they believe it, they're passionate about it. And then there are people who just hustle who make some big end-time prophecy and they need to sell books. Right. And you can sell a lot of books claiming to know when the world is going to end. And so it's sometimes it's more malicious and sometimes it's just more you get caught up believing some things, which for your introduction is all the more important because you said uh, you need to be critical on your own eschatology. And for the most part, people absorb truth from general culture and it's absorbed without ever being reflected on in a critical manner. So right. for instance, outside of theology, let's just talk American culture. People in our culture absorb a saying like, follow your heart wherever it may lead. Now that's, that's, a, that's dumb. That's a terrible advice. Now, <laughs> some of you have said that to someone and the way you meant it might have been accurate for that moment. You knew the person, you know where their heart was, but just generally to say, follow your heart no matter what, that that can get you into some trouble. Um, but it's, it's absorbed uncritically by the culture. And so you just kind of get that sort of philosophy in the framework of a people. Likewise, 
eschatology is absorbed in Christian culture, where you just hear things all over the place. You see a meme, you see a friend post this, and you don't ever critically reflect upon it. So it's just absorbed. And then if you were to take a step back, what often happens is you have an amalgamation of 50 different thoughts and opinions, yeah. but they actually aren't consistent with each other. Yeah, they might not even work with, together, yeah. much less be, you know, like stand up to biblical evaluation. Yeah. Um, and like we talked about last week, one of those things is kind of the general assumption that everything's going to get worse and worse and worse until Jesus comes back, Yeah, which might be the case, but there are giant schools of interpretation that say it's going to get better and better and better. Yeah. Um, so with with that in mind, I think these kind of doomsday prophecies, you're always going to be drawn to think that the time you're living in is unique, just like you always think that you are unique and you're yeah. special and different. Um, and so all the way back, I mean, there's, there's stuff that goes way, way back to like the first century, but mm -hmm. I'm just talking about relatively recent history. And one of the big, one, big ones was a guy named William Miller in the middle of the 19th century um, who predicted that Jesus would return between the 21st of March, um, 1943, or sorry, 1843 mm -hmm. and the 21st of March, 1844. Um, and then when, th and this is a, a theme you'll see a lot, when that did not happen, he immediately revised his day to, oh, it's actually October 22nd, yeah. 1844. E everyone usually goes, oh man, I forgot to carry the one. Right, exactly. I, I, I wasn't wrong. I just, in my math, I failed to, to do this or, um, I dropped a blood moon. I, I yeah. Or <laughs> oh, you know what? I wasn't you using the Jewish calendar. Right. I was using the wrong calendar, so I have to adjust my numbers. And then time and time again, they adjust it. Um, and some of it's crazy. I mean, some people adjust it several times, and they keep going. Yeah. And this guy has crazy quotes. I, I'd heard of his story before, but just today I was looking at it, and he was quoted as saying, "Only if the Bible is in error am I wrong." And he says, like, and I'll say that to every pastor in the country. And his point is like. I'm so sure this is what the Bible says that the only way I'm wrong is if the Bible's wrong. Um, and man, it's like you, you stake that claim and then you're wrong. Yeah. And that's pretty, pretty brutal. I um, mean, his, in his being incorrect, there was so much kind of fervor around that movement that um, historians call the fallout after he was wrong, the great disappointment. So there was enough kind of energy and heat and momentum there. Enough people thinking like, this is really it that they had to come up with a name for it. Yeah, it's important to note, and probably your next couple examples may get into this, but especially in American history from late 1700s, I mean, I guess, I guess you could say all the way till now, but there was a spirit of end times. Yeah, in, it seems in, like it peaked in, in the 90s. In maybe. our culture. And in the 1800s, there was a lot of this. Um, it characterized Christianity in America, um, and partly because everything was new, everything was a new frontier, everything was a new discovery. The nation was new. When you when you as a nation have existed for a long time in a certain geographic location, yeah, good point. You just see the world through a different lens. But America was a unique project, and it birthed a lot of things. And one of the things it birthed was this sort of feeling that we're getting we're getting close. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's it's like it, it would feel like such an a unique moment in history in all these other ways. Yeah. Like this new giant really important thing is happening. So the gr the ground is fertile for new big things to happen. Yeah. And it was, so it's like again, it's easy to look critically upon that a couple hundred years after the fact. But the American project was unique in many in many different ways and so um I'd say that because it's an important note is you can become sort of like a historical snob um, where it's just like, well, 
dumb people thought this right. in the 1940s. It's like, bro, if you were there in the 40s, you would think the same thing, man. Totally. Yeah, just like if you're here now watching what's happening in 2020, there's a good reason why you feel like yeah. something might be happening. And we should say this up front. We joke like this, but we're actually serious. Like, it might be. Like, you know, this might be the yeah. crazy ramp up to something. But Jesus okay. is always coming soon. So you, you have to be able to say, I don't know when. There's been plenty of times when people are wrong, but I know he's coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. One kind of weird side note too, that I didn't know this until today either, but you know, the religion, the Baha'i, the Baha'i faith, um, it's kind of an interesting semi pluralistic type religion. Um, they believe that he was right, Mm. which is interesting. And this is, you know, at least a hundred years later, I think, but, uh, one of their prominent figures who became a prominent figure later declared himself to be the current version of the promised one that year that Mm. Miller said, Jesus is coming. So they're like, no, he did. He was right. But, G- but you know, this godlike figure comes a lot of times. So that's, we could get in the weeds on that, but I just thought that was interesting. Um, Charles Russell, mm-hmm. the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, he predicted the end of the world in 1914, uh, which again, that's a period in, in world history when you go, yeah, it looks like the world is ending. Um, yeah. And they've predicted seven more since then. And you know, by they, I mean the Jehovah's Witness um, have predicted seven more. Another famous one was... One of the moves really quick that you'll see happen a lot is if there's not some big physical change that's clearly... An oh, ass- yeah. Is that it immediately becomes spiritualized. So Jesus um, didn't come back in this way, but he came back in this way, and it's this invisible type of re- return. There's a big movement in China right now who believes that Jesus has returned um, in the person of a woman. And she's the prophetess of the movement, and it's it's getting a lot of momentum. Wow, is that movement in every other way Christian, or is it is it has it gotten a little weird? Because sometimes those things get a little funky. I don't know much about it. I mean, it's it's not Orthodox Christianity, but it's Christian in the sense that they believe the Christ has returned yeah, in wow. this way. Man, that just gives me every. Well, what was the thing I sent you? Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. That's because that's an example of one that got really crazy. What was the name of that? Love Isaac, has love has won. Love has won. Um, if you want to trip out, uh, look up love has won on the internet. Isaac sent it to me uh, last week, and it's basically it's a new age cult surrounding this character. Um, not character. She's it's a real woman who says she's kind of the embodiment of God in every mother sense, nature. Mother nature has now incarnated herself in this this woman. And, but man, that one dovetails with a bunch of crazy stuff. Yeah. So like I said, if you want to feel like you're going crazy, do what I did and spend like two hours reading that website. Um, I don't actually recommend that you do that. Um, but you know what? Me and Isaac are a hundred percent open. If you are the, um, I don't remember what her title is. I'm not. I'm <laughs> you're not, not going to have her on the this. show. I'm not open to any of this. <laughs> I was going to say, we'll have you on the show. Sam, we'll talk to you. Sam will have you. Um, we'll make, Thursday, we'll make Kevin do it. I'll go behind Sam and the Kevin, scenes. I'll, I'll run the computer. Yeah, Isaac's going to shake his head and go, this does not have the official sanction no, of South Valley Community Church. Um, Chuck Smith, who's the founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement, Calvary Calvary Chapel Movement, a uh, huge network of churches all over the U.S., predicted one in 1981, and it was another one of those big, the fallout for Calvary Chapels was huge when it didn't come to pass. And that's not very long ago. I mean, that's, that's recent. That's the last 40 years. Um, and then another huge one, you might, rem- well, you probably wouldn't remember this, and neither would I. Let's see if Kevin would. Oh, Kevin was probably, uh, <laughs> Kevin probably 30, man. Kevin was in his early 40s when this one happened. Um, Edgar C. Wisenant. Do you know this one? He published a, 
hugely popular book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. You heard I, of that one? Uh, no. I was only five. I was born that year. Um, Kevin, you were just finishing up your master's degree at that time. So. I still haven't finished my master's degree, and I don't, I've never heard of that. Drew says, we want to see Kevin. There you go. Asked and answered, Drew. Um, also, Drew, don't assume everybody wants to see Kevin, just because you do. <laughs> uh, there's something, I don't know if that's important, Kevin, but it's fallen off the... Oh, yeah. That's happening in real life. Kevin springs into action. Um, we, want to, we run a big high-budget system over here. It's uh, Kevin, wires to, going everywhere. You want to give us a play-by-play uh, play of what just happened? How'd it go? You all right? <laughs> One of I our adapters was falling off the edge. Power was falling, yeah. but power is back. All right, power Kevin, back. thank you. Great job. Okay. I, just, I, I hope everyone else likes throwing to Kevin as much as we do because I'm constantly looking for like barely reasonable excuses to ask Kevin to come on screen. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So 88 reasons the rapture will be in 88. Maybe I had learned about that one because that was the year I was born. Um, and then, of course, shortly after that, tons and tons and tons of Y2K theories. Yeah, which was scary. I mean, I was, I was at the age where you're young enough, you just you don't even know how to process, like you're processing. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh. And I remember all the adults in my life being like truly, truly afraid. Yeah. Um, not all the adults, but many of them. Like, Tons and tons of families, including mine, kind of doing some low-level stockpiling of yeah, things. Yeah, because even if you weren't in on it, like the world's going to end, you were like, man, we better get a lot of granola bars stocked up, get yeah. some pinto beans, exactly. some rice, extra water. A little Just, bit of Mountain Dew on the back. Uh, oh, yeah. hey, Ruth Scott remembers that book, the 1988 book. Okay. Kevin, do you, do, what did you do for Y2K? The people say they want to see you, so let's, let's give them what they want. I didn't do anything. I didn't give credence to anything. <laughs> I don't believe I, that. I see. I could see Kevin going in and being like, got to make sure my computer's working. Yeah, oh, you I would do that. See, yeah. Like I was updating my system to make sure I was ready for the Y2K, but I wasn't expecting my bank accounts to be drained. Or you didn't stockpile like any food? Um, I you know you stockpile some cookies. I man. always do. I'm always hungry. Kevin's like, honey, two packs of Oreos this time. Yeah, we... That's if I go out, I'm going to go out eating some cookies. But that's a great, you know, we're joking about it now, but those of you who were adults during that time will remember that that was really, really scary. Super like there was scary. a lot of fear and there were, you know, it wasn't, that wasn't just a Christian doomsday. That was like the entire developed world seemed to be. Working. I remember watching a, on the news like Jerusalem hit Yes, the year 2000 and then like Europe hit it because I was like, well, if it's going to hit, it's just not going to hit America. So, and then it was sort of like, as all these countries, they didn't go to go, you know, just fall Fall apart. apart, I was like, I think we're good. Then the East coast, by the time it was East coast, I go, I I think we're going to make it. I remember someone telling me that like the moment someone explained to me in my little kid brain, like you're, it's going to hit other parts of the world before it hits here and being like, oh, that's right. Okay, cool. So we'll at least have like time to get ready or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, to, and to, to make me look bad, I wasn't a little kid. I was a teenager. Um, but it was still, as a teenager, you just didn't have the ability to process like the end of the world. So it was very, it was scary. It was very scary. Yeah. And Carolyn's talking about remembering unplugging her computer early that day 
and not plugging it in until the next yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Which is... Because we were all told little tricks. Like, if you do this, you might be okay. And if you do X, Y, Z, yeah. you might be okay. But it was, it was a creepy time for sure. And then the next biggest one, I mean, there's tons and tons more. I'm just hitting some highlights. But the next huge one um, that made a ton of waves in our area in particular was Harold Camping yeah. in 2011. Now, people don't remember this one as well, but he also had a really big one in 1994. A fail. This is a, a radio evangelist and pastor. I, is that how you'd characterize it? Yeah, I believe it was Lion and Lamb Ministries originally. Huge radio show. And then it became the Family Something Network. And he was all over the country, but he was actually based in San Jose or something, right? Yeah. Somewhere in the Bay Area. And um, he had, a, he had, I think, 11 or 12 total prophetic like announcements mm -hmm. of when Jesus was returning. But there was a big one in 1994 and a really big one in 2011. And 2011, to your earlier point, was not really the era of doomsday pronouncements anymore. No. So when that one started happening, it was weird. It was like, you guys in the chat will say if you remember this, but um, I worked in Morgan Hill at the time, and there was a billboard up on, on yeah. Monterey Road, a giant billboard that's just saying, the world is ending on May 21st, 2011. Carolyn's got the good knowledge. Yeah, Family Radio family Network. Radio Network. It was Family Something Network, so thank you for that. Yeah, and you'd see cars with bumper stickers. I remember asking, asking a dude, because it said the end is on this date, yeah. and I, I was like, I didn't have a good attitude about it, but I was <laughs> like, okay, bro, would you mind signing this paper that says on the day after this date, I can have your car? No way. Because if you really believe it, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't fall for it. That's a, that's a good move, though. Like I like part of the deal though, is you're not only assuming he's wrong, but you're like, maybe he's right. And I'm not getting raptured either way. I get and, his car. And I was like, I'm going to sell it, but I'm a Christian. <laughs> so I'm not going to rob this man. I'm going to sell it back to him at a good rate. That's a good move. That's nice of you. Half of what it's worth. <laughs> and then I tithe on that. So it's all clean. Yeah, that's good. That's super. That's extra clean. Lori Duffy's clarifying. He wasn't actually ever a pastor. He lived in Alameda, but his ministry was, and is still located in Oakland. Uh, by the way, I can almost guarantee my daughter will correct the theology that I just spouted about selling oh. it back to him and tithing on. She's like, that's not the way it works. Yeah. Dad. And she's right by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah that's true. Yeah. That's so that, true. that Harold camping thing was huge. And to Harold camping's credit, he has since passed away, but to his credit, um, so he was, so he was an example of one of the ones where May 21st came and went. And yeah. his first move was to say, no, Christ has come. And, but he came spiritually and judgment day has happened. It was actually really horrible because, um, Leading up to that, tons and tons of people had literally sold all their possessions yeah. and like Houses fled to the hills and stuff and life savings spent on billboards and things. Um, but he, he said it was a spiritual judgment and he said there's no point in evangelizing anymore beyond this point because judgment day has happened. It was just secret. And now, and it might have been October, sometime later that year, he was like, that's when it's really, when Jesus is coming publicly. Mm -hmm. um, and this is sort of a, you know, a precursor to what we're going to talk about in a minute with the rapture, because he's talked about a secret coming, and then later there will be a public coming. When the second one came and went, I completely remember him saying, I was wrong. Yeah. Um, and he was just, and, and I actually appreciated it about him, because it just, he had this really genuinely broken vibe, and it was just like, I, I was wrong. I don't know how. I'm sorry. Um, but there was no kind of, like, he didn't triple down or, like, pick a new mm. date. It was like he, he owned it when it, when it didn't happen. Yeah, I think I think I remember watching that clip and he looked just like a, a broken, yeah. a broken dude over that. So when you see, so again, the point here is you should not be surprised, number one, to see doomsday prophecies happening in a year like 2020. And then the big thing is um, when you see them, evaluate them with theological care. Um, and so that's what we're going to do 
real quick, because one thing you'll notice, and we're, I have a few examples that we're going to look at um, some sentences from, but one thing that you're going to see consistently is that there's almost always in a doomsday prophecy, like a list of things that are happening that are fulfillments of biblical prophecy concerning the end times. Yeah. And it'll be a combination of biblical ideas and like extra biblical speculation mm -hmm. and they're mixed together. So you might read two or three points in a row that are like, oh yeah, that's, you know, you go and look it up. That does say that. Mm -hmm. And then there will be one thrown in that's like taking a giant leap from the text um, or something that's biblical, but it's not about the end time. So my point is it's a mixed bag a lot of the yeah. time and you have to evaluate each one of them individually. So, and just culturally we are, because of social media, we are not trained to actually spend time researching right. each claim. We go for clicks. We click on the clickbait. We all know there's clickbait, but we still click them. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing and it. And if it's a top 10 list, we have been very well trained to like, you just look at the 10 things and don't read the paragraph, yeah. even under the list. So yeah. it's like top 10 reasons. Why, and that's what I'm do, I do the same thing. Yeah. Unless it's super important, I'm just like, show me the list. Um, so kind of being countercultural by really evaluating this stuff is super important. Now, there's one thing um, that's been shared a lot. So there's a really, really good chance that some of you are going to hear language in what I'm about to read that will sound familiar because you either read it or you shared it. So I say this stuff all the time, but my point here is not to make you feel guilty or make you feel silly or anything like that because um, there's good stuff in this post as well, but there's some, some problematic things too. So give yourself a break if you shared it or liked it. Um, but let's read just some sentences from some different versions of this post have gone around a ton in the last few weeks. But here's the kind of the, the sentence I want to focus on. It talks about, it's from the perspective of, of, a, of a Christian and it says, I've been hearing about the second coming of Christ and the events unfolding around it since I was a kid. And then there's this list of the events surrounding the second coming of Christ. Here's what they are. The mark of the beast, microchips, no cash, just plastic, martial law, and total government dependency and control. So what, do you want to just like react uh, to those kind of five or six things? What, what stands out to you in that list? Uh, nothing necessarily stood out. It was more just there's been times and places in different cultures and countries throughout history where you, you could almost go like, oh, yeah, that happened. Right. Oh, yeah, that happened. And then so it's that. There's like that kind of historical like open-mindedness for one thing. And then you mix that with the fact that, again, some of this is biblical and some of it is, is making assumptions about what the Bible means by things. So it says the mark of the beast, microchips. Well, microchips is just one possible interpretation of what the mark of the beast yeah, might yeah, be. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and we'll talk in a couple of weeks about the mark of the beast when we talk about how to read Revelation, but there's a lot of possibilities for what that is. Yeah. Um, and the idea of microchips or having no cash, um, those things are extrapolations from the biblical text into the modern world. Some of them are, are pretty reasonable. I mean, imagining a cashless society yeah. is, you know, but, but again, you could go way back in history to places where that are just operating off the barter system or something like that. Um, and then the idea of martial law in a general sense, you know, there, there is kind of this idea of chaos and lawlessness and things like that. But then the next thing it says is total government dependency and control. Which, as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, there's no text in the New Testament that says you'll, we'll have total government control at the second coming of Jesus. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm uh, Unless they're trying to say that somehow the Antichrist will have complete control. But that's not, I don't think that that's spelled out really anywhere. No, and if that's what they mean, that's not what's happening right now. You know what I mean? So, No, and you could say that 
Well, that happened in Stalin's communism. Right. And the end was not yet. Right. That happened in Hitler's Nazi Germany, and the end was not yet. That happened with Pol Pot in Cambodia, and the end was not yet. Yeah. And so, so here's the issue. This post, the rest of it is pretty good. I mean, it, it has an assumed view of the rapture, which we're going to talk about later. But, um, but for the most part, it's pretty good. It goes on to talk about how this is a, the time to get the gospel message out, to not shrink back from being open yeah. about what you believe. That's all really good stuff. But if you just see the general gist of it, and then you choose as a Christian to repost it, you're co-signing everything in it. And my advice would be read it carefully and ask yourself, does this actually match the biblical vision of the end of history? Yeah, and let me let me give you an example of like how we're reading something modern into something ancient. And it could be, but it could not be. So the idea of the mark of the beast, and then you're not going to be able to to buy or sell if you don't have the mark of the beast. Well, as a modern person, you go, what does that look like? Maybe that's a microchip. Maybe that's proof that you took this or you did that. In the first century, there was already guilds that were set up. Mm. And so uh, let's say I worked for the steel guild and I, and I did XYZ for my profession. One of the things that was happening was in order to be a part of this guild and actually maintain your job, you had to burn incense to Caesar. And so the first Christians were like, we're not going to do that because when they're burning that, they're doing it in a sense of worship, not just like a, hey, here's, here's a little thing for the homie Caesar type yeah. of thing. It was, it was a religious context. So the first Christians were saying, if we have to do that, we're not going to be a part of these guilds. And we we're would gonna, rather lose our job. And they did lose their jobs, wow. and they weren't able to purchase, and they were then shunned in the community because you're the ones who, wait, you believe in the, cru you got kicked out of the guild because you believe in that crucified Jewish Messiah? You're the nutcase. Right. You're the crazy one. And so before the technology of a microchip, it was the guilds. It, and, and man, if you were trying to like really look at like direct fulfillment of Bible stuff, dude, you literally are in a situation where you cannot buy or sell because you don't have a job and your way. And it's not, you know, it went beyond that, as you know, to like the feast that you have to participate in as part of your guild involves meat yeah. sacrifice to pagan gods and all this other kind of stuff that they're dealing with in the first century. But that's just one example from like within a couple decades of the resurrection. Yeah. And we know that in the, the, the Christians living in that time, they're going, is this the mark of the beast? Yeah. Now here's the other thing too, is um, we won't go down this rabbit trail, but it's interesting is because most Christians look for a antichrist. In American eschatology, yeah. there is one Antichrist at the end. The Bible, in several places, most explicitly in 1 John, says the Antichrist is already among you. Mm. So 1 John is written in the first century, the spirit of the Antichrist is already among you. And so it's possible, and I lean this way, that there are, throughout history, Antichrist and spirits of Antichrist and marks of the beast that doesn't negate the fact that there might be a, an ultimate one at the end, but I could in good conscience say Nero is an antichrist. Domitian is right. an antichrist. Hitler is an antichrist. That doesn't say anything about a final reality of it right. being a really bad one or not, but the scriptures are clear. In the first century, the spirit of the antichrist is already working. Yeah, and how could you not think that if you've got the, the leader of the most powerful nation in the Western world, you know, burning human candles of Christians at his feasts, right? So, yeah, I mean, 
and and you know there have been other times in our recent history when you've got entire nations of people made to wear a particular mark to identify themselves and Nero Nero blamed the Christians for a fire and started persecution pers- persecution because this is a family show I won't even get into the stuff that Nero practiced in his personal life right if you were a Christian this is the most evil vile man of lawlessness yeah. imaginable Let's and put it he's this way. killing Christians left imagine and right. that it's every worst possible conspiracy theory about powerful people in the world today was being done all that stuff was being done by this guy publicly yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah and so yeah that's and again that's not to say we're not trying to say that means that it's definitely not the second coming is not soon the point of the new testament is it's always soon and it could be tomorrow um but there have been a lot of times when things would seem to match up even more or at least as much as that email. Now, I want to look at another list um, that's even more. I'm double checking the comments first. Um, I want to take a look at an email that came in. And this is from a, a person in our church who had, had gotten it from someone else and was kind of concerned about it. But more just like, this seems a little a little weird. Can you tell me you know, what the deal is with this? And it's, this is a, like a true list of all of the things that are happening in 2020 that demonstrate that the end is coming. Okay. Um, and so I just want to walk through the majority of these. Okay. It may convince me, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. What if this backfires and Isaac's like, we have to end this broadcast now because I got to go buy some pinto beans and some five gallon buckets. Up. Stock <laughs> up, man. So, um, and I think what you'll see in this list is a combination again of things that are biblical with things that aren't mixed together in a way that's really, really confusing, especially if you're not being super careful. So first one, COVID-19. It says, while many nations have made inroads to flatten the curve and even force a decline in new cases, the coronavirus is far from gone. Um, It says some more stuff about it, but the point is it's a form of pestilence, which is one of the signs from Luke 2111. What do you think about that? Agreed. Agreed. All right. So far, so bad. No. And now, of course, the the part of the point is that is true. There is yeah. a horrible, like generationally unique pestilence happening right now. Could be an end time sign. But is it the first pestilence in human yeah, history? Yeah, it was the pandemic of, of 1918. Right. And the end was still not yet. Yeah. So the next one that it says is global depression. It says, if figures are correct, the current economic downturn will be twice as bad as the Great Recession and the worst economic contraction since the Great Depression. Mm. Um, now, a couple things. One, um, the same point we've made a million times, which is all throughout human history and all over the world, because it's, it's hard not to be Western-centric in yeah. Europe and the U.S. that's going to experience that, but there are people who have been living a whole lot more poor than the worst possible reception here all over the world and still do today. Yeah. So if you're thinking globally as God does, you go, well, the whole world isn't about to. The developed world is about to. Yeah, um, and what we're experiencing here is not like the Great Depression of the 30s. Right. It's it's not even it's not even close. I mean, some people are hit, it's been hitting people really hard, but we've seen worse global economic disasters. And as you've mentioned, I mean, in some senses, it's it speaks to how good things currently are that you can go through this and a majority of people are still doing well to the to to the degree that we're doing yeah and then here's the real issue with this bullet point um find the place in the bible that says there will be a global depression associated with the end times so you're going to see things about famines so that you could maybe do a jump off point from there 
But again, that's not the same as an economic depression in the developed world. So really quick, that that is a, an idea of where we, we absorb stuff from culture that could be incongruent. And we're, so within evangelical culture, someone might think a global depression is the sign, but that same person six months after the fact may see something that says the complete opposite and think it's a sign. For example, well, things are going to get super good. Things are going to be so good. Yeah. That's how the Antichrist fools everybody. The Antichrist everybody. is going to make it seem like everything's Everything's perfect. going good. And you, ha- you, you know, six months apart, you may hold those both as true signs of the end, but you haven't really thought out how it works. And we've been talking about, is your eschatology pessimistic, optimistic, or neutral? Um, but those are, two, those are two signs that are odds with each other. Yeah. And so, again, the advice to you is if you're reading something like this, don't just go, oh, wow, there is a really bad global depression. Go, well, wait. Where's the prophecy about the global depression? Let me go read it and see if it actually maps on to 2020 in a unique way to the point where I would say, oh, dang, this could be happening right now. Um, The next one's another example of that. It talks about swarms of locusts, which I didn't fact check this one, um, but it just says that the UN Food and Agricultural Organization projects giant swarms of locusts, Mm. um, which might be true, um, might not, I'm not sure. But the thing that it points to is Matthew 24, 7. That's where, that's what it, if you want to show my, um, my Bible app here, Matthew 24, 7. So they say, hey, swarms of locusts, just like it says at the end times. But what Jesus actually says in Matthew 24, 7 is nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So this is just the simplest possible example of the fact that if you just look at the verse that they say is supporting their point, mm-hmm. that's step one. They said Matthew 24, 7 says swarms of locusts mean the end times. Go read it. And yeah. there's no locusts in that verse. Not one. Not one single locust. So that's, that's and then the very next one says the same, references the same verse and says um, rumors of war. And it lists all these different things that are happening globally, um, upcoming, you know, kind of tensions geopolitically. Uh, and that one to me is, again, just another great example of the fact that there's always, always wars and rumors of wars yeah, at every and, point in human history. And it's difficult because go back a year and there was a lot more, well, maybe is it two years now, but there was issues going on with Syria, Iran, Russia, um, Russia, and it's like in the last week, wait a second, a bunch of peace treaties were just signed. Right. So it's it's like if you leave it to the everyday experience, you could be feeling this way one day and feeling the other way, the other way. And it's important to note too, is that like with the, with famine, famine hits places and uh, there's certain places in the world that are getting hit really hard right now, but there's people and places that are flourishing. And in the big picture of things, most people don't realize this, but percentage of the world's population who is getting clean water, who is getting, out of hunger has has been i mean it's been incredible in the last 50 years and a lot of that is the work of the church yeah putting wells and and stuff all around the world but percentage wise we're actually climbing out of the percentage of people who are in who are in severe hunger and lacking clean water there's still tons of work to be done but in the big picture, we're actually doing a little bit better than we than we were, say, tw- just 20 years ago. Yeah, and again, if you zoom out and think globally, there's there are places in the world right now where if you said, hey, 
famine and rumors of war are a sign of the end times, they'd be like, well, then it's about to happen. Um, and places where it doesn't feel that way at all. Yeah. Um, and yep. so just got to be, got to be careful. We have a couple of comments actually, right when you said the same thing, um, a commenter named color me rad said parts of Africa are getting hit hard, which is a hundred percent true. Um, and then Joey Rivera makes the point that right now we have a peace pact made with Israel. Um, and the Bible says when they say peace and safety, then comes the destruction. Now, that's a great example of what you just talked about, where mm. one way of reading a particular verse makes it sound like when everything's chaotic and violent, that's when the end comes. Yes. And another one says it's when they say peace, peace, um, which is the verse he's referencing. Yes. Um, and so, again, you have to make the hermeneutical case one way or the other. And the people who make the list usually will pick which one's in the moment. Right. So if it's going really well, well, that's what the prophecy says. If it's going really bad, well, that's that's what it says. Because the Bible is such a, bi a big book that you could pick right. something to make make your case on any given day. Yeah, and a lot of people would argue that that verse that says, when they say peace, peace, that's when everything's horrible. Um, that has more to do with the kind of preparedness of, hey, you know, you have to be ready for the day to come like a thief in the night. That's that's the kind of peace, it, yeah. Peace they would say that that verse speaks to the arrogance of man not a single prophecy. Right. And it could be both. It could be totally. a single prophecy and also serve as a statement on the arrogance of man. Um, yeah. Sort of like the Titanic. It's like the, I don't even know if it's true, but the kind of folktale that they said not even God could. Yeah. It's like that arrogance is what God is warning against. Yeah. And that's, and again, you know, even things like these words like peace, we have to just understand there's a broad range of meanings for a word like peace. So if it talks about saying peace, peace, it does not necessarily, it could for sure, but it doesn't necessarily mean broad geopolitical peace in the modern world. Mm -hmm. um, so again, it's just one of those examples. It's a great example, Joey, of how the right, the thing that is necessary for you to know what to do with a verse like that is to build a consistent eschatology biblically from the ground yeah. up. Go back and read it, see what it's actually saying, and then see compare that to what you believe over here and say, hey, what is, are these consistent here? Yeah. Okay. Two things I'm going to say. One is there's like a lightning round at the bottom of this of converging okay. signs, and it's I'll, my favorite part. Okay. Number two is I'm just going to make the call now that we're going to save rapture for next week because it's almost 8.15 already, and I don't want to try to do the Man. rapture. Intent. Hopefully it doesn't happen between now and then or else, I mean, I guess it'll be, you won't need to know about it if it happens. I'll be gone. You'll, Isaac will be gone. I'll still be here. I'll, me and Kevin will Ke be here I next week. Ke I'll tell <laughs> Kevin will be here next week, man. <laughs> me and Kevin will be here for you guys. Isaac sadly will be gone, leaving only a Columbia <laughs> shirt on a chair. Um, so we'll, we'll save the rapture. We'll talk about all of that next week. Um, and so that way we don't have to rush this or okay. try to rush the rapture in 10 minutes. Cause I want to take our time there. Um, all right, here's, at the bot, the last bullet on this list of signs of the end times is it's just called converging signs, and it talks about how in 2020 we we have a generation alive who have witnessed all of these signs together all in one mm -hmm. generation. Um, the first couple, Israel back in the land, 1948. Israeli that is unique, absolutely very unique. Israeli control of Jerusalem in 1967, mm -hmm. very unique. Um, but again, I would challenge you because I agree, very historically unique, but Go find the verse that explicitly says Israel will be in control of Jerusalem when the end times happen. Because mm -hmm. um, it's that's not crystal clear. Um, this is a, this is a, the, the next two are both very interesting. The first one says the gospel preached throughout the world. Now, so the, they're saying 
a sign of the end times that the gospel will be preached yes. all across. And the they're world. saying that's happened now. Okay, um, now we'll give chat like ten seconds to think about this. Just think critically about this. Is that a sign of the times is that the gospel will be preached through the whole world? Pause for a little bit. Think about that any, critically. Any thoughts or questions on that? Because there's actually this is the this is what I think Isaac is setting up, is that there's actually two different directions to go with evaluating yes. this statement. So yeah, g- give that some thought. Um, and both kind of demonstrate why that's erroneous to think. Yeah, there's, right a, now. there's two different and opposite, opposite problems yeah. with this, which is super interesting. So think about it. I know uh, the video is typically four or five seconds behind the chat. So as you're thinking, throw your comments in there. Um, Kevin okay. says, ready, go. So first, most people don't realize this, but Paul made the claim that the gospel was preached all across the world in the first century. That was his claim. He's like, hey, good news, everybody. The gospel has been preached all around the world. Yeah, it's a crazy thing to say that in in the same letter where he's going to say, hey, I've still got to go name the gospel where it hasn't yet been named. Yes. <laughs> but go on, sorry. Yeah, no, so, it, so in one sense, even within the first century, the apostles were already making a claim that the gospel has been preached through the whole. On the opposite end of that is the gospel... Ha- hasn't been re- no. there's something called the 80 20 window yeah and there's tons of people groups who have not heard the gospel yeah they're longitudinal day. lines basically g- kind of in the middle of a world map of yeah, these yeah. incredibly difficult to preach the gospel in countries and most of the there are places like um organizations like the joshua project that are are really concerned with cataloging and listing unreached people groups because yeah. here's the thing, you could say, well, the gospel's been preached in every nation, but if you mean, when you say nation, if you mean modern political nation state, yeah. you're missing the biblical meaning of that word. Because when the Bible talks about nations, they mean peoples. Yeah, it's ethnos. Yeah, ethnos. Ethno-linguistic people groups is what yeah. missiologists say. It's the people. Every, it's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The idea of like a nation state or like a, a nation as we think about it was not what was in mind. God yeah. cares about all the ethnicities. Now, granted, those ethnicities are spread out across the nations, but there are tons of people groups. Oh, yeah. I mean, a nation like an, a modern political nation like Nigeria has hundreds, if not thousands of ethnos in it. Yes. People with unique and distinct language and culture that are a separate people. Um, there was movements starting in the early 1900s to, to further drive this point home. In the early 1900s, there was missionary movements that were started so that they could preach to every ethnic group on the face of the earth yeah. because they said then when everyone has heard the gospel, then Jesus would come. So part of their motivation was to reach the nations, but part of their other motivation was we can actually in some sense trigger the return of Christ once we make sure all the people groups have been right. reached. Because so Jesus be, says the, this gospel will be preached to all the nations and then the end will come yeah. in Matthew 24. And we're not, there's still, so for those of you listening, this is this, we need missionaries to learn new languages, to translate the Bible in languages the Bible hasn't been translated yeah, to. make to. your entire life about reaching. There's something, there's 6,000 and something cataloged people groups that are un- considered unreached yep. by the Joshua Project. Um, and so that's, that's a big number, but at the same time, it makes it feel amazingly concrete to go like 6,000. Like we can do that. Yeah. That's totally. Wait, wait, we only got to do 6,000 before every people group has heard the gospel. Yeah. That's amazing. And so for real young people who are watching this, if you feel like, man, 
maybe it's my calling to dedicate my life to reaching an unreached people group, please send me an email because <laughs> we would love to help you for real. Um, we're, we're, if, if you don't step up, we're going to have to send Kevin and he doesn't want to go. Actually, Kevin would go. I shouldn't even make that joke because Kevin, Kevin, would you go to reach an unreached people group? I, we just he couldn't leave me. Behind. I don't think I should answer He couldn't that. leave me. We haven't seen Kevin in a while. That's the main reason I asked him a question. Okay, lightning round. What's, what's okay. on the list? This is a really interesting one okay. that you know more about than me. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Increased travel and knowledge. So I, when I read that one, I didn't even know what this person was talking about, but you immediately did. So what is the biblical prophecy about increased travel and knowledge? Okay, I'll... Um, I'll say it in a second, but chat, see if you could beat me to, you're a little bit behind, probably like 20 seconds behind, but go ahead and put it in the, the chat box if you know what section of scripture that's referencing, because this is one that has come up all throughout my life, uh, and it's referencing increased travel and knowledge. Daniel chapter 12, and if you could pull that up, it's at the end of the book of Daniel, and... Um, Daniel 12, 4. Now, Kevin, if you would, want to throw now, that up. Read the claim and then read what the text actually says. Yeah, so the claim is increased travel and knowledge is one of the converging signs of the end times. Here's what Daniel 12, chapter 4 says. By the way, for those of you who aren't familiar, a notoriously bizarre and incredibly difficult part of the Bible, the last half of the book of Daniel. Yeah. This is the very end of the book. The angel who is interpreting visions to Daniel says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Okay. So one is talk in the text. It says many will go or run to and fro. And the claim was that it's world travel. Right now let's, so that's one kind of little slippery. Yeah. Move it's a jump. It's a big it's a jump, jump to make, but let's say it's not, you have to understand that, there's been multiple times in human history where people thought world travel just exploded. So for instance, a big one was actually at the time of Jesus. Mm, right, the um, Roman road. There, there's a whole theology around God's providence that the reason why Jesus came the, in the time he did, because it was the first time in history that you really could travel. And everyone spoke the same language. Because you had Rome and the Roman road system, what made it, possible for missionaries to travel the world in ways that they never would have dreamt of. Um, so people would say, well, well, it happened. It happened at that time because of this, this empire did this work. There was once a time where it was said that the sun never set on the British empire and that you could travel all through this. And then the invention of airplanes. And then, well, what about, why are we even thinking about travel in a literal sense now? Because now we're in a digital age. Right. I don't even have to travel. Yeah. What makes it about travel? I could Zoom chat with somebody. Yeah, I can communicate with anyone at any point in the world. And so, talk about knowledge increasing. That's what they're getting at is the sum total of human knowledge is right here. Yeah, so knowledge increasing. What about Gutenberg in the 1400s when they invent the printing press? Now we can print books and you could go to libraries. We have the all these books that teach us everything. So it's not to say that that, again, and this is our point, it's not to say that might not be referring to something now. But let me tell you, if you were alive at this time or this time or this yeah. time, it sure would look like the stars were aligning. So you have to approach that with humility. Yeah, there was a time before universities and a time before school and a time before public school 
You know what I mean? So there's definitely a lot of points in history where you could say knowledge is increasing all of a sudden. The fact that there's literacy, it abounds. I mean, is is a strange human yeah, phenomenon, fairly recent in the big his, in, in the, the history of humanity. Yeah. Okay, one more, and then we'll start wrapping it Lemos. up. This one says, Israel surrounded by enemies. And it says, Muslim neighbors claim the land of Israel for themselves, and they have no regard for the God of Israel. Now, that one's definitely true. Yeah, and it's, my, I guess, my immediate response is like, that's always true. Right. Israel, in the f- f- first off, in the first century, was surrounded by enemies. Um, they were displaced from their land and, and experienced enemies and persecution and anti-Semitism wherever they went throughout history. Yeah. And then certainly now it, it, you can make a claim that it's true. What most people don't realize is that within the first century, Israel was surrounded and, and the Roman Empire actually literally through siege warfare circled Jerusalem and had their soldiers encamped. And it got so brutal that you starve the people out. And if they try to escape from starvation, well, then the soldiers are waiting to kill them yeah. in horrific ways. You by and the way. I it's at different times have seen leftovers of those siege mounts yeah. and stuff. You can still see them in Israel in, so, in some places. So again, it's to the point where, yeah, that, that could be true right now. It very much could be true. But know that there's been multiple times where, yeah, I mean, it, when the... The temple was destroyed in 70 AD when Jerusalem was surrounded. There's historical records that show that Christians interpreted Jesus' words about the enemies surrounding Israel, and they got out. They got out of Jerusalem because they believed Jesus was a prophet. Um, And so, again, historical humility and keeping in mind that that doesn't negate some real crazy stuff could be going on right now, but just especially with the list like that. So you, I, I hope you're seeing that like that's 80% true. That's a hundred percent true. This one's sort of 40% true. And you can make a list that actually could be applied at multiple points throughout yeah. history. And a lot of them are maybe true. That's the biggest kind of yes. like, especially biblically. Cause, and we're going to talk about this in a few weeks. Um, we're adding a week now that we got to do the rapture on a separate week, but there, when you read prophetic books, especially like revelation, like the end of Daniel that are, are the ones people point to for end of the world kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different ways to read some of these things. So anytime someone says, Hey, travel increasing means the airplane, just take that with a grain of salt, like get in the habit of going like, what else could that mean? And that's, and again, it's not a cynical attitude necessarily, although I certainly wrestle with that, but it's, it's kind of just saying, don't just take it at face value. And if you see a list or a big giant paragraph, that's asserting a lot of these things. Um, I would just personally recommend don't share it until you have actually critically evaluated whether you mm-hmm. agree with all of it. Um, and you are more than welcome to send those in to us. That's where I got this one was from a church member who, who had a funny feeling about it and was like, what do you think about this? Um, and so, yeah, we've said this before, but it's always worth saying in world war two, a leader, taking over the known world has in made the world into enter into a world war. He is rounding up ethnic Israel, God's chosen people yeah. in the Hebrew scriptures, rounding stamping them, them with a special symbol, stamping them with barcodes, a mark of the beast and sending them off to torture, starvation and death. I don't know how that, what, what did the list look like? Oh then? man. Yeah. And you wouldn't truly, you would not have been able to avoid 
be believing that that was the end. In fact, it would have been a very, very reasonable position to take theologically, yeah. I think. And so that's that kind of historical humility thing. Um, false messiahs, you know, wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, um, these things are going to accompany, um, and again, this is an interpretive decision, either the entire age until Jesus comes, or they're going to get really bad as a ramp up to Jesus. Yeah, this is an important note is some people think that the end times is like a couple decades leading up to the second a coming of Jesus. discreet little point in history. Many people see the scripture saying the end times started at the resurrection of Jesus Christ because you, you entered into a new era and now we're in the last era of human history. And in that last era of human history, the church will suffer persecution and there will be antichrist and marks of the beast. And there yeah. might be an ultimate one at the end, but some people would say we're living in the end times since the early church all the way till now. And what's and being described is characteristics that will characterize this the age, era. The age. Broadly. Yeah. 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 And then again, some people it's like, well, no, I'm, I'm talking about the end of the end times. That's yeah. what I want to talk about type of thing. Yeah. And so that's just, it's, it's one of those things, the two things, and they're not, they're not difficult to remember, but they're difficult to do. It's, it's critically evaluate each claim individually um, and seek help if you need it. There, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and then be mindful of history during all of this stuff. Um, Cause I think it's easy to get caught up in this stuff. And if a few things look true, you go like, Oh my gosh, it's happening. It's going to happen right now. Um, and I think the posture of the Christian, and maybe we can end on this, is like Isaac said at the very beginning, it's Jesus is always coming soon. So you don't, like the last thing we want is for you to take us kind of challenging this stuff and kind of giving some question to it all and go like, well, that means I don't have to worry about it right now because it's, you know, it seemed like that back in the 40s too. That's not at all the point we're trying to make. The point we're trying to make is you have to be humble and not assume it's happening but the posture of the Christian is it could always be right now. It's, it's yes. in fact, when it happens, people aren't going to see it coming. And maybe in an extraordinary pessimistic way is just because it's not the end doesn't mean that all these signs don't add up to some stuff really bad happening. Yeah, that's true. So it wasn't like, oh, World War II happened and oh, great. It wasn't the end of the world. It was still hell on earth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so you have to be wise either way as a Christian to navigate those. Um, but again, when we're just looking for to to map out when the end is coming, we could be missing out what we really need to be doing in those. Yeah, in those be times. about the Lord's business at every time, yeah. no matter what. Um, There's a quote that's often attributed to Martin Luther, and we'll need to maybe we'll confirm next week. But the quote is something. Dude, like I can if, Google it right now. Oh, Google it right now, man! With that increased knowledge of the internet, right there. <laughs> Um, if the world were ending tomorrow, what would you do? And he says, I'll plant a tree. Oh yeah. The world's ending, plant a tree. I know that one. And the idea is to go about doing that, which is good and beautiful, right. And God honoring today always, because Jesus is always coming soon. Yeah. And his point to some degree is, is you should be already doing the kinds of things that you would do if he's coming tomorrow. Cause he might be coming tomorrow. Yeah, he's um, coming soon. Yeah, even if I knew the world, even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. Is one version of it. Um, but this is how the internet is. I've also got a picture of Martin Luther King Jr. saying the exact same quote. Um, yeah, it's, here's the thing with quotes: is uh, people just make stuff up and attribute them to people. Like, yeah, 
there's stuff that people say, don't you know, Albert Einstein said this and you do a little bit of research. Well, that's to our point actually. Yeah. There's so much nonsense that's out there on the internet with memes that people just say stuff and it'll get re retweeted and shared. Actually, a little behind the scenes, our, some of the pastors here have started just attributing things we say to C.S. Lewis. Yeah, it's really good. You should try it. Because there are so many fake C.S. Lewis quotes um, on the internet right now. So be careful. That's number one. If you see a quote that says it's from C.S. Lewis, don't repost it until you verify it because people are saying C.S. Lewis said stuff that he did not and would not, did say. not say. But we've started saying, um, Stan Vitus is a big proponent of this. You'll just like say something in a group chat, you know, like a response to something and then you'll add C.S. Lewis, Lewis at the bottom. Because <laughs> it's C.S. Lewis, man. Then you got to listen. Yeah, what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to one-up in that. I'm going to be like, um, a real man always puts hot sauce on his chicken wings. Aslan of Narnia. Oh. what up. That's... <laughs> What up, Stan? I, I Aslan of Narnia. I love the idea of. Or you could say the early church, the early <laughs> church father, Aslan of the Narnia. Reason, the reason I, I'm like so dumbfounded right now is I thought you were gonna go with like Martin Luther or Saint Augustine no. or something, yeah, yeah. and then the combination of the fact that you chose the lion Aslan and you made the quote, "A real man puts hot sauce on his chicken wings." Lucy's like Aslan, you look bigger. Yeah, but that's not important right now. What you yeah, need to know is a real man puts hot true, sauce man. on his chicken wings. It's true. The early church <laughs> patriarch, the early church father, Aslan of Narnia. He was a stickler about his hot sauce. Hey, so um, we we spent way longer on that than I thought, but that's good. Uh, hopefully it was helpful and, and um, interesting. And I would love for it to be comforting. That's a big hope I have is that it will take some of the fear out of this because Christians are supposed to view the future with hope and optimism and a desire and expectation. Jesus is coming care. back not because... Uh, the end of the story is so bad and it's going to be every, no, Jesus is coming back with his sword in hand to destroy and eradicate evil. And that's the day we look forward to. Yeah. And if you trust in him, that's a blessed and, and glorious day. So Aslan of Narnia. Aslan of Narnia. <laughs> so, to, so next week we'll talk about the rapture. If you got rapture questions, send them in um, and we will see you here then. God bless. Thanks guys. Thanks guys.